Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we'll look at an issue a lot of people are talking about and outraged over. That's the college admission scandal in which well-to-do people buy a place at the head of the line for their kids, ensuring admission to elite elite colleges and universities. Joining me to talk about it are Debbie Greenberg, Director of College Counseling for College Bound. It helps promising students from disadvantaged backgrounds achieve college degrees. Alan Bird is Dean of Enrollment at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, and I thank you both for being with us for this timely discussion. Great to have you. Alan, let me begin with you. A a lot of youngsters are in the process right now of receiving a word as to whether or not they've gained acceptance to college. Um, Given this scandal, I think many of them are going to be disappointed for the wrong reasons. Yes. So the scandal really did just shine light on uh, the college admission process and some of the things that are um, less than desirable in terms of of, of people having um, advantages in the process. And unfortunately, we live in a society where everyone feels like the deck is stacked against them, whether you're speaking to a student from a very wealthy family or a student from a low-income family. Um, Everyone seems to think that everyone else is getting all the money and all the opportunity. Um, So it's difficult for us to really um, be able to assure people that the process is fair and that they are given every um, opportunity available to them. And and it's it's becoming harder to do now, especially with all this attention. Is, Is the process limited to elite colleges and universities? No. So again, I mean, we all have different admission requirements. I mean, of course, it's much different at the elite schools because, I mean, they accept less than 20 percent of their applicants. Um, With schools like the University of Missouri-St. Louis, where I work, it's a more objective process where um, your ACT, your class rank, your GPA, um, actually you can calculate it yourself. You don't know if you'll get in or not. Um, But there's always that 10 to 20 percent exception rate um, where people – um, well, we do have some flexibility to make decisions who gets those spots and also in terms of scholarships. That's where it gets really, really um, tricky at times in terms of, of who is eligible for which awards. And um, um, it, that, that, that's the, the, the most difficult part. Do big donors play a role in that? Absolutely. I mean, not only do colleges and universities have a role to um, attract a certain student profile in terms of academics, we also have to protect our bottom line. Um, so students from families of wealth and students who have that, who have resources to possibly be donors um, absolutely get, get special consideration at times. Debbie, this has to hit you right where it hurts the most, too, because the people you work with are those who work very hard in order to go to college and may not for the wrong reasons. Right, right. So with our students, it is really disappointing. And um, it's something that's, you know, obviously not new. Um, it is it's disappointing. It's earth shattering. the The problem that we see now is the legality of it. That we we always knew this was happening, um, and now there's just this illegal part of it. Well, the illegal part of it meaning the fact that now the FBI is in. Well, the it. FBI, the racketeering, but there's <clears throat> always been, you know, as Alan was saying, there's always been. Um, an, an extra spot for students of privilege, whether they can, you know, receive ACT test prep, whether they can, you know, pay for a wonderful doctor to give a learning disabled diagnosis, whether they have access to great, you know, AP classes in high schools and teachers and fabulous summer programs. These are called legacy ties. Is that basically the right term for 
or, or, or not. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Either one. Well, well, these are just, I think, um, examples of how um, students with financial means do have advantages already built into the admissions process. Um, but the legacy ties really um, play an even larger role at the elite universities. I mean, I, I recently read a study from Harvard saying that um, legacy students were 45% more likely to be admitted at those schools, and virtually none of those students come from first-generation or low-income families. Um, it's sort of built-in privilege where seats are reserved for those students mm -hmm. and other students who are looking to gain access to the best schools in the country um, are, are really um, really competing for a smaller pool of spots. Well, let's be sure so, that folks understand what legacy ties are. Basically, it's just your, your parents went to the same yes, school. That's yes, sort of thing. parents, grandparents, yes. And so Debbie. the first-generation students don't have the benefit of legacy. They also don't have the benefit mostly of applying early decision which are, you know, it's an admission process where you apply early and the, stu and the school will guarantee you a spot. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of students, they don't have the opportunity to go visit the school before early decision, and um, they have to wait for financial aid offers. Really? The, well, you know, a, a lot has been written recently since this, since this thing came about, Debbie, about uh, it's an ego trip for parents as much as it is an opportunity for the kids. I read a great article yesterday about snowplow parents it I used saw to the be, same did you? Thing. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So something that we work with with our students and, and every student is you want, to, you want your child to fail and experience some failure mm -hmm. and to have some frustration. So by the time they go to college, they can work through that. And a snowplow parent is somebody who removes all the obstacles, you know, throughout the child's life so they don't have that opportunity to fail and learn those adulting skills. It used to be helicopter parents. I was just going to say, yeah. you're taking the words out of my mouth. Right. I was just going to say the helicopter parents being replaced by snowplow parents. Yes, and the thing with parents, again, I when I read these stories and I see the examples, I mean, I know that people are really advocating and they want the best for their children. Um, but it's really up to us as a society to define the lines and the boundaries because sometimes, I mean, we, we receive essays that clearly were not written by students. Um, we often have some parents who will go above and beyond to um, call various offices on campus until they get what they want. Um, it's just a, it just has to be systems in place to make sure that people understand how far to take it. This is not your bailiwick, but how is it possible for a ringer to take an ACT or SAT test for a kid? That is not my area, but I believe it has something to do with uh, the, the people who proctored the test, and um, some people can get um, personalized um, proctors set up to take the test. And um, I'm not familiar with the process, but when I read about that, I was shocked that there wasn't more checks and balances. There, well, so there are opportunities to take an extended time test at school. You can also do what these parents did. Um, uh, you can take it over multiple days. It's called special circumstances. And again, in terms of access, students, you know, our students at College Bound and, and most students don't have the wherewithal or the finances to, to navigate this system. Um, how, how do you help them? How does College Bound help them uh, through this testing process? So, you know, we provide test prep. We also, if we can spot a learning disability with a student, we do help them navigate the process through their own school, which can be a timely undertaking. It can take, you know, months and months for a special school district to, to test a student and, and get them on the right track. 
And you have to provide the documentation. It's just, it's a whole shebang. Should, uh, Alan, should the, should the schools be considered blameless in this? They're not cited by, and, and the most recent, it's the parents that are cited, not right, the schools. Right, I think we, we all have some blame in this entire process. I mean, of course, I mean, the schools, especially the ones that were not aware of this going on, um, shouldn't take, you know, all of the blame. But I think we've created a system that sort of rewards this type of behavior, um, especially with, I mean, I have friends right now who are spending thousands of dollars on ACT prep just so their child can get a few more points to get into certain schools. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've created this environment where um, you, you almost, I won't say um, buy your way into college, but um, we, we put ourselves in a position where middle class families and lower middle class, working class, people cannot invest those type of resources in their child's education, but that should not prevent them from being able to go to college and go to a good college because we have a lot of talent right now where it's not being fully developed because students simply don't have the resources. You alluded to it uh, earlier, but is the the basis for this primarily the fact that colleges at all levels need the money? That is a big piece of it, yes. Uh, we, we all... Well, it's an again, arms race, yes. and especially with facilities, we're seeing who has the better gym, who's got the greatest dorm, what bed brand. It's almost like uh, some of these institutions are trying to sell a country club as opposed to a place of learning. I mean, they, they as you indicate, they have to have the better facilities, right. the, the better rooms and that sort of thing. Right. Well, I, I, I got to spend a year on the other side. I worked for the Kaufman Foundation in Kansas City right. for a year where I was a college coach really helping high school seniors transition to college. And we took the students on college tours all over the country, and I got to see some of these elite schools up close, Mm -hmm. and it is amazing. I mean, to see some of the facilities, some of the culture and and, and the environment that they can provide, it is breathtaking. It's like something off of television. And I think that's part of the crime is that here are deserving students who are denied access to facilities like that, to networking opportunities, to resources. And and these elite colleges are the ones that have the resources for the academic testing or, you know, academic study centers and career services. Well, Well, how important is a degree from Harvard, Debbie? Well, I mean, I guess you're asking the, the snob in me would say, yeah, it opens a ton of doors. And for a student from an under-resourced background, it, it's life-changing. And certainly we know, Alan and I both know, a college degree can end generational poverty. Mm-hmm. And so to, to notch it up even more to have access to, you know, your roommate whose daddy owns whatever and the different, you know, resources that the colleges provide, it's, it's a huge hardship. I mentioned to you off the air, uh, a guest I heard in Joshua Johnson's uh, 1A program the other day. It was a young man who was going to, wanted to go to Harvard to go to engineering school there. And uh, when asked uh, specifically why, he said, well, we'll have it just as Debbie indicated, the opportunity to network, I'll get a better job over my lifetime. I will make a lot more money. But he never said it was because of the College of Engineering. (laughs) (laughs) That was not, that was not a part of it. Right. Yeah. Well, well, that's part of the challenge that we face. I mean, a lot of a lot of um, people put a lot of value on the elite schools because of prestige and the social mm-hmm. network it can provide. But there are many excellent right. universities that you can receive 
equivalent outcomes in terms of job placement, in terms of starting salaries, and even even solid networks. But I just think that we put too much emphasis on the elite colleges when it comes to um, it being um, the most important thing right. in your life. There's a lot of great schools that students will be just fine attending. And I think that's kind of the opportunity of this moment, especially when letters are coming out, to to highlight it's it's about your journey. It's about who you are, not necessarily the the name on the T-shirt you're wearing or the decal on your car. Yeah. Better take a break now. I'd like to invite our listening audience to get into this discussion. I'm sure uh, people have opinions on it and maybe some experience with what we're talking about. We're talking about this college admission scandal, of course. Uh, 3828255 is our number. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org, or if you'd prefer to send a tweet, do so at STL on air. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Now back to our conversation on that admission scandal I mentioned. Debbie Greenberg is director of the College Counseling for College Bound. Alan Bird is dean of enrollment at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Uh, Debbie, I know you haven't had a chance to digest this yet, but apparently Harvard has come out with some sort of a advice or a statement with regard to this, and I, I gather it's telling parents really how they should act. Right, kind of yeah. back off yeah. and, and remember it's a child. Um, so Harvard, a couple years ago, released, it's called Turning the Tide, and, and a few years ago it was more about the admission process. And, and actually today they released um, a report that, see, I haven't read the whole thing, but it seems to focus more on the parents in high school, and, and which is great for today, about just focus on the child and, and kind of keep expectations in mind and, and not be that snowplow parent. No. Uh, Alan, how are kids vetted? I mean, you, you talked earlier about, you know, you have test scores, obviously, sometimes, and most of the time, perhaps, interviews and that sort of thing. But peeling that onion and getting to the next layer to find out what's really going, how do you do that? Or do you do it? We do. So, I mean, actually, everything starts with test scores. I mean, we typically, most of our prospects actually come from us purchasing test scores. So once a student takes the ACT or SAT, um, we tend to buy a range of those scores and start our marketing efforts to try to attract those students to apply or consider our university. Um, but once a student applies, that's when you get to know them um, a little bit more than, than what's on paper. So you have, the, of course, the high school transcripts and test scores, but that's when you start to develop a relationship with them. They also write all types of essays and personal statements. And you really get to see what motivates them as a person, um, what type of character they have, um, what, what unique things they bring to your campus. Um, but that's a little later on in, in, in the application phase. Would it be possible for someone to fabricate a disability uh, and be accepted to the University of Missouri-St. Louis? Or would it be possible for someone who is not an athlete to be given an athletic scholarship? That would be quite difficult. Um, just for the for, for in, t in terms of the admission decision, our admission decisions are based solely on academics. It's a pretty objective process. Um, so them being an athlete or them having a disability wouldn't really impact the admission decision. Um, on and on the athletic side, um, again, we are a Division two institution, um, and we have you know we we work under NCAA rules. And I just find it very difficult that a person who would take one of our scholarship spots wouldn't actually be an athlete. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't see how that happened in, in, in today's society. Debbie, I don't either. I can't imagine how a kid shows up for school, he's on the rowing team, right, and never shows up for With practice, but still gets the full ride. Right, and who have been receiving probably emails throughout the course yeah. of the summer show up for practice. Yes. And I mean, that's what's so scandalous and uh, about this moment. Everybody wants a leg up, as we've mentioned. I mean, right. you look for an advantage. That's uh, sort of part of the human condition. What do you tell the kids that you work with regard to what they can do to have perhaps an advantage? You know, so we try to level the playing field and we try to, you know, put it on the line and, and let students know what they're up against. And so we provide the test prep. We provide, you know, essay writing help. Um, we, tr- we visit the colleges. And so we do try to level the playing field, but it, but it is, you know, it's jarringly unfair. We have a, a couple of listeners who, uh, well, more than a couple, who want to get into this conversation. Let's bring them in. Dennis and Overland, uh, go ahead. You're on the air. Yes, Don. Um, well, I, I, off air, I talked about the possibility if we could all look at our last four presidents, and uh, including the one right now, two legacies, two basically bubbled up through our democracy. And uh, the other part of this whole thing is the end results of of these type of things and uh, the second part is in my lifetime i've been watching in sports in, in colleges where kids are losing their scholarships because they're uh, using a phone illegally to make long distance phone calls and all of a sudden they lose their scholarship and you know the disparity of 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 what's going on out there but we gain so much when when people come up from down below and and make it. So as a as a country I think we suffer. So let's hope this works to the best. Thanks again. Debbie, that fits right in with what you're what you're doing and what you're saying. Yeah. I'm just sitting here nodding. Um that's a great phone call. And it and it's true. Unfortunately, you know, I've been reading a lot about this and if you want to be a Supreme Court justice, pretty much you have to go to an Ivy League school. That's, uh, Hopefully we can change that. Cer- yeah, this certainly is a pointed great opportunity. Out now. It's yeah. all Harvard and Yale on the right, Supreme Court right. pretty pretty much. Right. What's your take, Alan, on the idea of we need to bring people up from the bottom really to, to, to make it work and give us a, a real legacy? Absolutely. I, I think, again, it, it adds a level of diversity of opinion and perspective at the highest level. I mean, it's hard to run a country if everyone in the room attended the same bubble in terms of their education system and their, their, their social network. I mean, it, again, if you want a, a true democracy, you have to have everyone at the table. Well, we have uh, a listener who's written in suggesting that uh, the legacy practice also takes place at military academies, and they get in with no question to ask. Do you, is this the case? Yeah. I'm not familiar, as familiar with the military academies, but uh, from everything that I've read, um, legacy is a major factor in admission decisions at, at the elite institutions. Not what you know, it's, uh, it's who you know. What about scholarships, Debbie, and things like that? Pell Grants come to mind and the opportunities for, how does all of this fit into this conversation? Well, I think it all depends on the institutional goals of each school and what schools are willing to invest in. Um, are they willing to invest in a Pell Grant student? Uh, to come to campus and to be a voice that a, another child may not have heard? Or are they willing, you know, do they want to discount their rate and give their scholarships to attract a higher ACT score? Mm. 
Would you address that, please, Alan? And I think really that's that's the bigger discussion that I hope will come from this. The way that college is financed and the way that um, the way that we pay for college has changed. I mean, the financial aid system has gone from being more need based to more merit based. And what's happened is we're using the majority of our institutional budgets to go after students with higher ACT scores. And we have a ton of students who now find themselves not being able to afford college because all the money has been shifted into the merit pot. Hmm. Um, But if we truly want to, again, reach our full potential and provide opportunity for everyone, we have to have more balance between merit and need-based aid. I I don't want to get political, but uh, what about college free-for-all? That is definitely, I mean, Tennessee just announced um, this past week that they're offering free college, free public education. And I think we'll see more states do that. Um, again, it, I think as a country, we're at a spot where we have such a shortage of adults with college degrees that we are going to have to change the system to en- enable more people to graduate from college. And Debbie, I'm sure I know how you would answer that question, but go, go ahead would, and answer it I anyway. Would, I would also say... Um, <laughs> You know, it's not just tuition, it's cost of attendance. And so that's what's happening in New York right now. Yeah, tuition's free, but a a low-income child still can't go to the New York college, you know, just based on tuition because they can't pay the full cost of attendance with room and board, meals, et cetera. Transportation, all those things. Right, Let's go back to the phones and bring in Lisa calling from St. Louis. Lisa, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, thank you so much. Don, I think you asked the question earlier about how much colleges are to blame or are involved, Mm -hmm. and that's the issue I'd like to address. My opinion is that they are very much at the center of this problem because they have been promoting colleges as a means of merit and the more and being the best and the brightest and bringing in students who have the most to pay. And this creates a system in which if your student is to be identified as the best and the brightest, then you're willing to do anything to promote them. And as Debbie said earlier, all of those things were legal, exceptional AP courses, ACT test prep visits to college, all of that was legal. So in a sense, the system was already rigged. And then for it to go to a system where it's simply not rigged enough that other people will actually break the laws to become part of that culture of the best and the brightest that colleges and U.S. News and World Report promote, you know, these things don't happen in little Petri dishes. They are part of a whole culture. Thank you uh, so much for the call. Would you like to respond to that, uh, Alan? Oh, no, I mean, I agree. I mean, we we have a system, again, that is that is very um, influenced by wealth and privilege. And in order to, again, to, for us to reach our full potential as a country, we have to make it a little more equitable and provide opportunities for people across the board. Any thoughts on that, Debbie? I just amen. I agree. Yeah. We have a, Chris emails us here saying, one thing you haven't mentioned as a problem is how watered down the grading system is and how variable it is from one school to the next. Uh, in this email, it's, it's too long to read, but the uh, writer also said that you can score a 4.0 in your, in your grades in college and have a 19 on your ACT test. You know, how, how is this possible? You're both nodding like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like again, litmus dust. <laughs> that's that's one of the challenges that we face. I mean, there there are literally schools that are worlds apart in in our in our community that are literally miles from each other, yeah. and it's very difficult to even evaluate students um, 
across the board because there's there's such a variance in what they're learning and what they have access to in their schools. Okay, Debbie. No, we'll, we'll go to Susie calling from Kirkwood. Susie, thanks for being with us. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. I'm hoping that I'm going to be the voice of reason in all this. <laughs> there are millions and millions and millions of successful from the past to the future, I'm sure, that never went to Harvard, never went to Yale, and never went to any special school. And I can testify that a poor person can go to a tiny, tiny little liberal arts school and be successful because all six of my um, siblings did just that, including my brother becoming the head of the uh, California Highway Patrol. Uh, Another brother was one of the inventors of the Kindle face and has become very wealthy and successful because my mother told us that if we have a principle and we have an idea and we follow it, we will have power and we don't need money to do it. We all went to Principia College, which is a tiny, tiny little college with probably 400 students now on the Mississippi River right here in the St. Louis area. We all thrived and were great because of principle, not because of money. And I just wanted to have the voice of reason here for anybody that's listening, that you don't have to know this or know that person or have millions and millions of dollars or cheat. You can do it with a principle and with a good idea. Susie, thank you so much for the call. Debbie, that's kind of uh, what you've been saying. Yeah, I, you know, <clears throat> I love this time of year when the letters, when the admission letters come out, because there are all these articles in the newspapers that talk about you don't, just exactly what Susie said. You don't have to go to the name brand college. You mm-hmm. just have to go, you know, follow your heart and do really well. And, you know, they'll, they'll, supplement those articles with the different CEOs from the Fortune 500 companies and how they all didn't go to these name brand colleges. We, we have a note here. There have been examples of people like Jared Kushner, whose dad legally donated $2.5 million to Harvard, got Jared in. What can institutions do to help combat these disparities? I mean, that's the key. They need the money. They want the, uh, you know, they want that association with the family. Um, but... I mean, that, that's a very difficult thing to tackle. I think you have to almost approach it from the other end and somehow um, tie um, the enrollment of low-income or pale-eligible students to somehow the Title IV aid that those campuses receive because that, there's not a lot of um, – other, other than impacting their funding, I, I'm not sure how you could change that behavior. Any thoughts, Debbie? Well, that's what's so infuriating and, and about the scandal. And, and just that something like that is legal, whereas, you know, students like ours and the ones that we serve are, are really just being, you know, shut out of this process. This is a fairly fresh story, Debbie. Uh, what are the kids you work with saying to you about this? Or are they, have they well, digested it? Yeah, I think there's a sense of outrage and there's a sense of, you know, I'm doing all the right things and these doors, I thought these doors were opening to me. And now here I've, I've done the right things. I've done my ACT. I've done whatever. And there's still barriers. There are still roadblocks. They're well aware of what's going on sure. in other cases. Sure, sure. Going to have to leave it there unless you have a final thought, Alan. Oh, I, I'm just happy that the, this is a part of the public discussion now, and hopefully some good things will come from it. Okay, I want to thank you both. Uh, Debbie Greenberg, thank you so much. Debbie's Director of College Counseling for College Bound, and Alan Bird, Dean of Enrollment at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Thank you both so much for being with us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.